0: There's no hope that cannot live. The grace you freely give It's the raging flood It covers us For the thoughts that come to decay You've sent love to strip them away And you've left We're free.
1: sisters ladies and gentlemen welcome to the worship service of the Great Little Zion Baptist Church I'm Pastor Murphy and I invite you to come now and sit and enjoy the music ministry as they share with you the glorious hymns as well as spiritual songs of our ministry and then we'll come back and share with you with the preaching of God's Word be blessed as God speaks to you this morning with you on behalf of first lady mrs murphy and myself i will express gratitude thankfulness to each of you who made the 22nd pastoral anniversary the success we embraced that it was it is always and will always be my prayer that across these 22 years something i have said from the word of god will help you recover from your past Something I have said will help you sustain in your present and something that I am saying will help you anticipate the greatness and the glory of your future. And so my wife and I just want to say thank you for the 22-year journey we have enjoyed and we continue to look forward to the great things that God has in store. But I certainly want you to know that as pastor and people, we have had a wonderful journey And I pray that only the future holds greater things for us to anticipate as well. So again, thank you for this 22-year journey, and we're looking forward to a blessed future. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Draw me close
1: In the book of Exodus chapter 13, the book of Exodus chapter 13, and we're going to read once again verses 17 and 18 as we engage in part two of the sermon, God is this the only way, the zigzag course. Remember a few weeks ago, we began this new series of sermon for the month of March under the general title, redirecting for progress and we launched out of this text of exodus chapter 13 and we shared in part one today we want to share in part two and so here we go the word of god exodus chapter 13 beginning at verse 17 now it came about when pharaoh had let the people go that god did not lead them by the way of the land of the philistines Even though it was near, for God said, Lest the people change their minds when they see war and they return to Egypt. Hence, God led the people round about by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea, and the sons of Israel went up in martial array from the land of Egypt. Again, the subject of this sermon, God. Is this the only way, the zigzag course, part two? As I alluded to before, we have previously been introduced to this strange decision of God for the well-being and the spiritual development of Israel. Instead of directing Israel on the road that, as the text says, is near close to where they were and the shortest distance in terms of traveling from point A to point B a straight path that would have led them although the shortest route through the land of the Philistine territory that would have meant that they could have arrived in the promised land in a mere two weeks instead of the 40-year journey that eventually took them by way of the zigzag wilderness. Yes, that shortest route would have been through the land of the Philistines, but God said something in that 17th verse in Clause B that grasped our attention. He took the longer route, says the text, lest the people change their minds. Stop right there. Because that became critical because their current mindset was that of liberation. Their current mindset was that of freedom. Their current mindset was that of prosperity, of attaining a new home and experiencing the salvation in which God had in store. In fact, they could see a light at the end of the path. But what could possibly change their minds? Well, God says it, lest they see war. War could change their mind. Struggle could change their mind. Lost could change their mind. Fear could change their mind. An obstacle that would block their way to freedom could change their mind, why? They have never encountered encountered the sophistication in terms of Philistine weaponry. They had not known the impact of iron chariots, war shields, or the trained soldiers for both defense and death. Their sight of the fierce army of death In their eyes, very well would have caused them to stop in their tracks, turn around, says the text, and go back to Egypt. God knew that if Israel remained near the seaside, they would face fierce resistance. The northern Sinai was a militarized zone in those days, The Egyptian army maintained a strong military presence by their towers as well as the trenches that they have dug around the area, but they would also have to experience not just the Egyptians, but the Philistines as well. And if Israel managed to fight through both the Egyptians and the Philistines, they somehow would have to deal and face with the Canaanites when they arrived at the promised land. God knew that they were in no shape to fight spiritually or militarily. The fact to confirm that particular is made clear for us that they would turn around and run back when you fast forward another chapter into the next year. That following year when they reached Canaan, Because as soon as they saw the strength of the Canaanites, you go back and read Numbers chapter 13, and when they send those spies into Canaan to check out the land and they return with that 10 10 spies with that negative report, immediately they took the position, says chapter 14 and verse 4, We need to choose us a leader and go back to Egypt. God knew that they weren't prepared, that they weren't prepared spiritually or physically to handle that kind of presence. And mind you, this takes place going around in the wilderness journey. Just think what would have happened if they had embraced or been taken through that short distance of just of less than two weeks but you got to keep in mind that god did not nor does god often permit us to take the short route he does that because a we are not ready we are not ready spiritually or physically the people Or the problem that they encountered, they were not ready for the position to which they would have to engage and that in return would snap their spirituality right in half and even threaten their physicality that they would turn around and run away. Their physical stamina would merely be depleted and exhausted. God knows that there are times when we can't take the short route because we just aren't prepared for what we might encounter on that short route. That's the reason why the promotion sometimes takes us around the long route because the short route highly suggests that the people we might encounter, the episodes we might encounter, the policies we might encounter, the kind of attitudes we might encounter could very well threaten us spiritually and even harm us physically, thus making us unprepared to handle that short route. So that might be the reason why God doesn't let you take the short route from time to time in various situations is because A, we're not ready. B, he doesn't allow us to take the short route Because the risks are too great. Not only are we not ready, but the risks are too great. When we get into that short route and we encounter some situations, we very well may abandon the faith alone. We may decide that the faith has become unreliable because what we are facing, we don't have the stamina, we don't have the strength, we don't have the wherewithal to fight it, And so we give up throwing the towel and declare that God has left us in the space that we are in. We may even compromise our ethics and morality because we are in a space that we're really not prepared to handle, and we have come to the attitude to do whatever we have to do to remain in that space only not recognizing that we are on the cuff of tremendous danger and risk. God doesn't let you take the short route because you're not ready. God doesn't let us take the short route because the risk is too great, but God also doesn't let us take the short route because the rewards would have been less satisfactory. The reward would be less satisfactory. The payout would actually be miserable in other words if he had took the short route when they got to Canaan they would not have recognized the glory of the reward to which they have been given this land of promise but taking this long route by the time they get there two weeks the short route 40 years the long route by the time they get there there's going to be a sense of thankfulness and gratitude and praise and embracing because you have had to labor to get to where you are. God takes you through the wilderness and it ends up developing in us a level of praise that we would have never expressed on the short route. That's why when you get there through that long wilderness journey, You are not only excited about arriving, but you are appreciative for the experience in the journey. It has done something for your testimony, something for your joy, something for your prayer life, something for your praise, something for your willingness to serve others that when you go through that long journey, it has strengthened you, empowered you, called you to recognize If it had not been for the Lord on my side, that journey would have been difficult to accomplish. But we get to verse 18 of chapter 13, and yes, God led Israel and God leads us around the way by way of wilderness to the Red Sea. And remember, they're just trying to get out of Egypt. They're just trying to take that first step to walk into liberation, to walk into freedom. And it is God who takes them around the way to get them out of Egypt, to bring them to this space of the wilderness. Why? Well, the wilderness is an interesting context. It's a place of growth. It's a context of amazing sustaining grace. It's a context where we experience liberation and not necessarily a space of punishment. In fact, the zigzag course, the line across the wilderness, is really nothing more than the encompassing of rich lessons that God has to share. Lesson number one I think he takes them along this route, and I believe he takes us along this route, that we might learn the lesson of trust. See, if they went the short route, perhaps because of what they come out of Egypt with, they would have plenty to survive for two weeks. But by taking the long route, they are now going to walk through that wilderness. They're now going to walk through that space to get to Canaan, For 40 years, they are now without provision. They're without bread. They're without water. They're without the sustenance they need to survive. Now, they can't just trust in what they have within themselves, but they've got to trust in the God who promised to supply all their need. That's the reason why God takes us in that long route, so he can teach us how to trust him for his divine provision. Remember, when they needed some food, God rained down manna. God rained down quail. When they needed water, God enabled Moses to bring water out from the rock. All of that is divine provision. But also, if they took the short route, they would be well known how to prepare and protect themselves. But in the wrong route, There's 40 years that you've got to protect yourself. Now they have to trust God's protection in the midst of the wilderness. That's how God takes us sometime to not only trust him in that space where we can't see how to trace him, but we've got to believe that God's going to supply all the need according to his riches and glory. We've got to believe that God's going to protect us when the winds of adversities and trials are blowing all around us. And then God also is attempting to teach us in the trust factor how purpose is going to evolve in the process. And their purpose was to leave bondage and take a hold of liberation be in a land of freedom god also not just wants us to learn the lesson of trust but god's also teaching us how to learn the lesson of developing a testimony there are going to be multiple examples of how god works in the lives of these individuals for the name of survival in the wilderness in fact when all is said and done can't you imagine that they are able to compare stories although they're traveling in a camp together by way of community yet God probably is moving and moved in different ways throughout their lives and he does the same with us we may be on the same road we may be in the same community we may be at the same occupation but God is working within us and for us in different ways and what brings joy to our life is when we get together and begin to share in those comparative stories watching how God works in multiple ways to bring about his purpose for kingdom building so God uses the wilderness to teach us the lesson of trust to also to teach us the lesson of testimony but also to teach us the lesson of training. Why training becomes so critical because in the midst of that, the training becomes God's developmental plan, God's developmental program. It's training us in that long wilderness journey how to pray. It's training us in that long wilderness journey the value of relationships, It's training us in that wilderness experience, the incredible value of having revelation in your mind. It's training us in that incredible long wilderness journey, the importance of developing community. God is training in the long term and he's developing what possibly could not have been accomplished in the short term. So God is using this alternate route to do something in Israel's life and he does it likewise to do something in our lives as well. One thing is for certain, in recognizing the zigzag life, it further raises a very difficult question. And here's the question. If God was able to create a world in which the rising and setting of the sun can be predicted with precision every day for all the time if the phases of the moon can be established for every month across the ages and if the tides of the ocean can be daily determined right down to the very second why then couldn't and can't God create a straight line life. Why must we often live and walk on this zigzag course, on this zigzag pattern? And here is what we quickly do. When we can't find what we consider to be clarity or understanding to those questions, we then attempt to take over our life and impose some sense of order on our zigzag journey. We're really attempting to try to make sense out of the senseless. We're trying to protect ourselves from pain and we're trying to overcome the innate ambiguity of reality. However, keep in mind when we do this, there's an attempt to take over our zigzag life may make things worse. In fact, we ultimately try to wrestle from God the control of our life rather than to trust God and that zigzag course could very well be God's way of preparing us. Remember what I said before, God has a way in preparing us for his glory and for his purpose and it eventually works for the good but we may raise the question why why the zigzag course for consideration remember what I said a few weeks ago one reason why God puts us on the zigzag course is because it helps prepares us for future adversity Here's a line that comes from M. Scott Peck, which is quite interesting. He says, the road less traveled is less traveled for a reason. It's less traveled because I really believe it's a preparation for adversity and often we don't like to have to deal with adversity. Keep this in mind. Straight roads don't make skill for drivers. Straight roads don't make skill for drivers. There has to be some zigzag and some curves, something to sharpen your skills in reaction, in problem solving, in maintaining composure. Go back to the text, Exodus 13. Verse 17, less you change your mind and go back to where you came from. God uses that zigzag, God uses that obstacle course to prepare us for adversities in the future. But There's a second reason. God uses this space of zigzag course to pattern our life after and to become an advocate. If you notice, Jesus in the Gospels never took a straight road, never takes a straight road. Instead, his life is intersected on a zigzag course, up and down, in and out. People who are of poverty, people who are of wealth, crooked people, people who are givers, people who are takers. He dealt with all kinds of people and never one particular personality. His entire inner circle group was a diverse group of persons. Why? Because life is a composition of zigzag opportunities. And he did that as an advocate on behalf of you and I. On behalf of you and I, because Jesus is the advocate of liberation, is the advocate for justice, is the advocate for truth, and God shapes us to bring within us by way of development the advocacy for others who might be on the zigzag course and yet find it a struggle to survive in such contexts. That's Jesus. Remember the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and particularly verse 11, where for me, when I read that text and I think about the Exodus story, I parallel how Paul teaches that the wilderness were examples for us to teach us not only how to survive but also how to survive for others. In fact, Paul said that the wilderness zigzag course happened, here's his line, as an example for you and others' instruction. So in other words, God permits me, God permits you to be occupants on the zigzag course, not just for you alone, but that somebody else can look at your journey, perhaps read your story, hear your story, and find the strength and the tenacity to survive on their own zigzag course. We are being developed to be go-betweens, to be those who walk alongside those who are entering into the current state of either coming into the zigzag course or who may already be in the zigzag course. God develops us that we might be advocates for others on the course as well. But then there's a third reason. God takes us on this long journey of a zigzag course that he might provide for us the lessons of adaptation. The lessons of adaptation. Remember the story that Jesus tells in Matthew 9, I think around that 17th verse where he talks about putting old wine into new skins or attempting to put new wine into old skins, it won't work. It doesn't happen. It's because the old skins are conditioned for one particular setting. While the new wine is consistently growing, evolving, fermenting, and the old wine skins can't handle the change. So that's the reason why you have to put new wine into new wine skins for us the practical lesson is if new is going to come into our lives we will need to have the capacity to receive it hear what I'm saying now we got to have the capacity to receive it so adaptation is about change uh, Excuse me, the law of adaptation says your ability to thrive as well as survive and prosper is directly related to your capacity to adapt. But here's what I want to impress. You don't want to just survive. You don't want to just survive. You want to thrive. You want to prosper. You want to move forward. No one wants to stay in the wilderness forever. No one wants to stay in the valley forever. You want to come out. You want to come through. You want to be victorious. And listen to what the law of adaptation says. In order to do that, in the wilderness, this is a place where it's barren, where it's lonely, but it's a context where you have to adapt. You've got to be willing to change that you might not only survive, but thrive. That's the reason why God has not changed your context. It very well could be that God is trying to teach you how to adapt no matter where you are. That's the reason why the people around you in which you may have to work with daily, God has not permitted a change, you have not gotten that promotion, it's merely because maybe God is trying to teach you how to survive but thrive in the context of barrenness and emptiness and loneliness. And he's trying to help you recognize that he can walk with you and talk with you and use you for his glory in a space that seems so dark and yet You, my brother and sister, is shining so bright for the kingdom of God. Listen to what Isaiah 43, verse 19 says. This is what God is doing. I am doing a new thing in you, it will spring forth, and I will even, listen to this now, I will even make a roadway in the wilderness and rivers in the desert that's a strong suggestion says God that I will not only take care of you but I will help you adapt and I will provide that your adaptation will be successful God will do that Jeremiah 31 and 2 says that in the wilderness as much as we try to resist Moving in the long range of God's movement instead of the short term, Jeremiah 31.2 says we can find grace in the wilderness. And God is trying to tell us you don't have to get the goodness on the short route, but in the midst of that long journey that you've been toiling for for the last several years, you can find grace. And if you take a moment to look at it, you've already found it. It's already been providing for you. You haven't lost your mind. You may think you was going to, but you haven't lost your mind. You're still intact. You're still strong. You're still thriving. And you are not only just surviving, but you are thriving because grace is with you in the midst of the wilderness. And here's what the word of God says in Genesis 16 Just to show you how God will work that thing. When Hagar is put out by Abraham, she goes to the wilderness for a permanent residency. But God shows up and lets Hagar know that this is not your permanent space. It's only temporary. I'm going to give you the grace. I'm going to give you the strength. I'm going to give you the mercy. And I'm going to give you the challenge. Turn around and go back and do your thing. Serve like you've never served before. Demonstrate the real woman that you are in the face of that hatred in which you have been partaking of. See, God sort of encourages us in the midst of the racism and the sexism and the classism and the marginalization and the opposition Teaches us how to stand strong and not permit others to dehumanize, but through the Holy Spirit, He allows us to see our humanity and we're able to thrive in Jesus' name. Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 7 God makes clear how He provides for us in the midst of the wilderness and tells us in the Word of God at verse 7 how powerful this thing is going to be. Listen to what Moses records. He says, for the Lord your God has blessed you in all that you have done. He has known your wandering through this great wilderness. And listen to this line. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you and you have lacked nothing. I just say, look at your life. Look at how God has provided for you. Look at how ways have been made for you. Look at how provisions have kept coming unto you. No matter what attempted to hold you up from getting to the promise, you got there anyway. Because the God of our salvation is that kind of God. But then let me give you this fourth final thing. And this fourth final thing reminds us of how critical And how important it is. Let me let me interject this before I go to number four. In the wilderness journey, sometimes, in fact, I would advocate many times, you need to learn how to laugh at your experiences. That's what I said. Learn how to laugh at your experiences. I think about the word that comes from the late Henry Ward Beecher that really not only cracks me up, but it has a lot of sense and application. Here's what he said. A person without a sense of humor is like a wagon without springs. That means it's jolted by every pebble on the road. Did you get that? A person without a sense of humor is like a wagon Without springs, it's jolted by every pebble on the road. The springs is what enable us to survive the multiple pebbles on the road. It enables us to absorb and to handle because the part, a part of adaptation is understanding how to absorb the variances. And sometimes you just have to laugh at things to absorb the interesting pressures and pain that it's trying to create. But then there's a fourth thing and then I'm done. Here's the fourth thing. God takes us in this wilderness journey. He walks us around the long way instead of the short way because the long way has a way of producing absolute affirmations absolute affirmations you continue to read past verse 17 and 18 we come to verse 19 20 and 21 and 22 but 19 and 20 reminds us of something very interesting you won't really understand it until you read the whole story in the book of Genesis And it's strange, but Israel is required to carry around the remains of the dead. The mummy embalmed of Joseph. But listen to what Joseph had said in their carrying it around. And you read verse 19, look what it says. Joseph told them, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. That's, that's a strange passage. But might it suggest that we need to carry our ancestry with us? <laughs> that we need to remember from whence we have come and the experiences. We can't carry around the bones, but I can carry around the testimonies and the stories of those who have forged the way before me, the inspiration of a Frederick Douglass, of a, a Fannie Lou Hamer, of a Septima Clark, the inspiration of an M.L. King or a Malcolm X or a Fred Shuttlesworth or a Ralph Abernathy or a Stokey Carmichael, the inspiration of those names helped me move out into absolute affirmations because they've already been here and they know what I have to believe and they know what I have to do to survive it. Joseph believed that God was faithful and I've got to embrace the idea that God is indeed faithful. What is God doing to concretize those absolute affirmations. Well, number one, he he is working to improve us. Remember, God makes us better by there is an assumption that the current building blocks that we have and adjusting the least useful elements, God recreates, God reconstructs, God infuses that what we currently are We can become better. Secondly, God not only improves, but God uses innovation. He uses disruptive changes to alter the way things are done to increase effectiveness. See, that's the thing about us. We hate change, but change is a representation of innovation, if we permit it. And God did that. He disrupted that short trip of two weeks to get to Canaan and took them on the long route through the wilderness. What an invention in that when they get to the wilderness, they get to see how able God is and how God can provide. And yet, God does something by way of invention. He introduces an entirely new model that is fundamentally different and not currently in use. Common sense. Who takes the long route over the short route? Let's simplify that. Who takes 40 years over two weeks? That just is not rationally what we would do. But when you talk about divine intervention, God is answering the question that we pose. The zigzag course, is this the only way, God? And it is. Because here's what God introduces that we've never seen before. In verse 21, the Bible says that the Lord was going before for them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way. And then a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel day or night. That's the goodness of God. Not shortchanging, not coming up short. But he provides divine direction in what we call a theophany they've never seen before. Here comes God showing up in a very incredible way a pillar of cloud by the day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, some scholars have tried to suggest that this certainly is not a reality, a figment of imagination. Well, if it is, it's a heck of an imagination because it's been hanging around in their life for 40 years. Maybe you and I can testify for the amount of years we've experienced God leading us. And then I'm done, verse 22. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night. Because that's how he proves that he does and creates inventions that we've never seen before. That's God's goodness. The long route may not be as bad as you think. In fact, I'm certain it's not. Time, you don't have anything but time because God is the holder of all time. Lord, is this the only way the zigzag route very well could be because that's the way God wants to train us for future adversity, to make us become the advocates that He desired for us to be, to teach us how to adapt in any environment, and to create in us absolute affirmations for the kingdom. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the time in which the word of God has been expounded. And my prayer is that in your Son's name, that today someone comes to realize that their wilderness journey is not in vain but that it is an experience in which you permitted them to travel in that they may grow and develop to become the servants you want them to be there may be somebody lord that hears this word that has never embraced the meaning of god or the presence of god in their life let this day be the beginning in which their spirituality takes on a new meaning that they become introduced to the person of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We share him and his word that their life may become abundantly changed and that they may become new creations in Jesus the Christ. Save that soul that calls on your name today in Jesus' name, amen. We have no other purpose in the declaration of the gospel but to share with you God's saving grace god's eternal mercy and the salvation to which god has in store for your life embrace him bible says whosoever will let him come come and embrace this new life that god has for you we are celebrating the fact that we are grateful that this opportunity has been granted by your faithful giving and we encourage you to continue to do so At the end of this broadcast, you'll see a number of ways in which you can continue to support this ministry. We appreciate you taking advantage of any of those. We celebrate the fact that your giving enables us to be able to every week come before your presence to share in the word of God. I pray that today is a new beginning for someone. And as we move forward in Jesus name, we want to celebrate with you that you are going to encounter a new life from this day forward. So if you would, find a manner in which to contact us, give us a call, email us, let us know that the gospel is blessing your life. If you've never uh, embraced the idea of being a part of a church family, we express our welcome to you. Become a part of our celebration. We would love to have you as brothers and sisters in the kingdom. Listen, God loves you, and so do I. Continue to be blessed. Recognize that the best is always yet to come. We look forward to seeing you in another week. In Jesus' name, have a blessed week. This is our time when we come to the Lord's table to break bread together. I want to invite you, if you would, to go gather your communion elements and we come to share in this sacred moment in which our Lord gathered around that table with his disciples and the sharing of that final earthly meal. And the Bible says that he looked at each of them, in fact, and he took the bread. And when he took that bread, he broke it. But in the breaking it, he looks unto heaven. And in looking unto heaven, he blessed it. And then he looked at his disciples and shared with them by saying, eat ye all of this. And so as Jesus and his disciples did eat together, let us eat together now the bread, which represents the brokenness of Jesus' body. Likewise, in that moment, next he took the cup and he contended, according to the gospel writers, that in that cup was the New Testament that was made possible by the shedding of his blood. He looked unto heaven and told them that this blood is blessed as well. And then he looked at them and said, I will not drink of this again until we enter into my father's kingdom. Then it will be drink with anew. He shared it with the disciples, and as they did drink together, let us drink together. And when they had finished, they went out into the Mount of Olives, singing a hymn, celebrating perhaps the time in which they not only had broken bread, but arguably in their hearts, knowing that it very well may be the last time in which they see their Savior alive. Let's rejoice Because we knew, we know now the end of that story, it's called resurrection. And I want us to go out singing with great joy how the Lord God through his resurrection power not only raised Jesus, but raised you and I to the newness of life as well. Have a blessed, wonderful day in the Lord. Thank you for sharing in this sacred moment with us in Jesus' name.
0: Sit love to strip them away.